This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. First off today, I want to thank everybody for all the positive feedback that I've received about this podcast. I'm happy to hear that people like what we're doing, and I really want to encourage everyone to participate. If there's a guest that you want on here, if there's a question you want answered or a topic you want covered, just simply send me an email, uh, jeff at hitsk9.net, jeff at hitsk9.net. And you can uh, let me know anything that you want us to cover here. We have a wide range of experts that would be happy to help us and spread the word on any uh, concerns or topics that you have. Today, we're doing another installment of our training questions and answers. So the question today is, how many chances should a patrol dog have on the street to prove he'll make it? I have an agency that I train with that has a dog that has found suspects, but he will not bite any of them. This has happened at least four or five times that I know of. I think it's time to start over, but they keep saying that this dog will figure it out somehow. One of the failures was with an armed shooting suspect, and yet they are still deploying this dog on the street to look for dangerous suspects. First off, to answer the question, we have Jeff Barrett. Jeff, what would you do about this? All right, so this uh, is a question about a dog that has failed to engage on a bite on the street several times and uh, they wonder at what point do you finally determine that the dog isn't workable so many of the, uh, the things that go wrong is um, poor genetics in the dog not willing to uh, actually engage and then the other is training so uh, if the training scenarios for some dogs don't create the picture that they recognize uh, when they get on the street they'll fail to engage if they don't see the equipment, they don't smell the equipment, they don't recognize the setup, uh, things start to get foreign to them, the handler starts to become overly aggressive with a the suspect, they can feel intimidated by that if they've uh, been overcorrected during their training. Uh, that can be familiar with them and they see that as a negative, so they equate that to not wanting to engage uh, so they don't get in trouble. So all these factors and play a role in how the dog reacts. And uh, what we have to do is first evaluate what the problem is. So uh, does the dog uh, not engage because he's not recognizing the equipment? Is he trying to engage where he jumps around with interest, nips around trying to figure it out, or does he just simply take flight? What's the suspect doing that causes these things? Um, more often than not, it's a, a training issue and not a dog issue, uh, but we have to try and figure that out through training. And so there's different techniques in training that uh, you can isolate the dog, um, have a decoy, start to stalk the dog, see what kind of pressure they can put on him, having uh, no one there uh, to prompt the dog, meaning that the handler uh, is not around to give the dog any type of uh, encouragement or support to see where the dog's level of confidence to defend himself is. Sometimes that'll show you the genetics, uh, but in training you have to set some scenarios up that are as close to real life as possible and give the dog as many uh, different looks and positions and activities from the 
a decoy to give the dog a broader spectrum. So he's looking for something that's familiar to him. He's looking for encouragement from the handler. If the handler's the type of guy that gets aggressive with um, a bad guy on the street and he's very overbearing, and that same behavior is shown uh, when he's correcting the dog, the dog can feel out of place and uncomfortable and unwilling to uh, engage. And so we have to have that same mentality with the decoy in training. And so we get into the fight. Uh, we um, get very animated, get loud, get our voice inflection up uh, so that the dog understands that uh, we are there as a team. This is a support effort and not a correction. And of course, then you have to take a look at um, all those things at the end of the training and make a determination whether the dog stays or goes. Is it the dog problem or is it a lack of training problems? So those things are the key elements in uh, whether or not the, the team should start all, all over again. Okay. Uh, quick question on that. Would uh, When this is going on, while you're doing this evaluation, would you uh, be deploying that dog on the street? Uh, it just depends on how bad this, in this particular case, you've got four or five failures. This should have been addressed in uh, no more than two or three failures, and uh, the determination should have uh, been made at that point. Uh, there's many programs out there that don't have a field training program so that they don't have a trainer or, or a senior officer that will go with uh, the new handler at first. I think that should be in place so that uh, that, trainer or that senior officer who's uh, going to be playing the role of field training officer for that canine team can see what's going on for themselves, see the reaction of the dog, see the reaction of the handler, and uh, how that plays out so that they can make a better informed decision on what to do sure. next. So uh, sure. I, I would take the dog off the street, um, put more training into the dog, and put the dog back out on the street with the field training officer, uh, see what the next opportunity brings. If there's another failure and you think that that's still some sort of training issue, go back into training and start to address it. Sure. Uh, I guess if you don't have a field training officer, that's one advantage to uh, you know the departments that use body cameras. So at least, at least you could use those for a training if you, if, if you needed to. Okay, this is a question three with Cameron Ford answering the question. So, based on what that is, uh, the way that's been described, the answer is already on the wall. That dog at this point probably should be at least cycled out of actual deployments, if not just retired from being a police canine due to the demonstrated lack of ability to the for the dog to complete the desired or required i should say task of making contact and apprehending a suspect um and it's been proven over and over again because if you keep following the philosophy of oh he'll eventually get it let's just hope him in that cycle doesn't cost you your life or the life of another officer if you've reached four and five times of a dog not engaging and it's pretty obvious that the training thus far obviously is not showing itself working in reality. 
this dog is a liability to you and to other officers you're working with. So my recommendation is this dog should be not operational, maybe put into training, but a, a very hard look should be um, given to whether this dog really has what it takes to do the job safely and reliably, which is a big part there, uh, to make sure you and your other officers are safe when that dog is deployed and expected to make contact with any person who's evading arrest. Next up, we have uh, Mary Davis. Mary, with a dog like this, how uh, how many chances is he, is he going to get to be able to show that he's a working police dog? Yeah, and when I read this, I go, I go, are we asking for a friend or is this somebody's particular problem? It's it's very interesting. The, per, the picture from the outside looking in versus the handler themselves having experienced the failures. So I'm, I'm always very leery about criticizing when it's from the outside looking in. But I will say this in general terms, this is obviously something that needs to be addressed. If, if there are four or five uh, deployment failures, then there needs to be uh, um, a concentrated effort to find out the why part of this and make a decision. Um, and obviously many, many, many things play into this kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that I, I like to think about when we're dealing with street failures is how, how well has the dog been prepared for the transition to real street work? And, you know, that's um, kind of an impeachment in some regards to the training um, scenario-based kind of work that gets done with the animal. If, if I see a dog that's not transitioning well, I immediately ask the question, did I get this dog ready for this work? And if I didn't, then I have to address it and see if we can transition them. Um, the other part of it, too, is that I think some dogs are incredibly... Um, environmentally specific in behavior. I mean, I think most dogs are. And so the idea of generalizing task, which is exactly what they must do when they go out and see a brand new picture, much like a brand new rookie coming out of the academy, they can do great in the cityscapes. And then they go to the real world where there's a lot of different stimuli and they kind of fall apart. Sure. So the how well can the handler bridge through for this dog and help them generalize task? And the un, I think the unfortunate reality is this, when there's a bad outcome on the first effort, then that's a big um, confidence shaker, not only for the handler, but for the dog. And both of them are looking to each other and neither one of them is supporting each other through the picture because the handler's embarrassed or they are, frustrated or they're angry at the dog for failing and the dog is going well you know i don't understand why you're so pissed off at me so sure. we're having a bad relationship here now but ultimately i mean it requires some very specific scenario-based setups and an, an address you know if this is this could very easily be the dog's core genetic issue that he does not have it to be a street dog and that's the call that trainers have to make when they look at dogs and, and kind of sometimes admit they've made a mistake in a selection and it, it does happen. But um, it, it certainly isn't the kind of thing that you can just ignore and hope goes away. Our next trainer is Aaron Peterman. Aaron, how many uh, chances are you going to give this dog? Uh, that's a good question. I think I'd have to go back a little bit and think, you know, you spend all this time and money and have we properly selected the right dog and if so 
we have to give, you know, him the opportunity to respond to training. So I would have to say, you know, what has the dog failed in? Is it passive stuff? You know, is it, um, you know, something that we can train the dog through in, in this day and age as dangerous as it's getting, you know, it's kind of unacceptable. You know, if you tell the dog to bite, he needs to bite just like if you tell him to let go, it needs to let go. So I would think, uh, it, you know, if it's a passive thing, have we set that up? Have we done everything we can? Have we called everybody we can to get the dog to bite, you know, a passive? And I say passive because that seems to be a big issue with a lot of dogs. Um, yep. You know, they get there and they're like, okay, this guy's not jumping around. He's not hitting me with a stick, you know. Uh, you know, yep. is there an issue with the equipment transition? Have we tried everything we can? Have we done, you know, a newspaper wrap? Have we a fire hose? You know, have we, have we done a fake arm or fake leg? You know, have we have we done everything we can? Have we, have we tried muzzle training as a dog responded to that? So I guess it would really be up to your agency, you know, what kind of tell what type of a uh, time crunch you're in, what's going on. Hey, you know, what's going on with the dog and, and the handler. And also you know, it's a safety issue as well. If you got a hard charging handler and he's out there mixing it up and he, he's calling you every night at three o'clock in the morning, if you're a trainer or supervisor saying, Hey, it's happened again. I would say four to five times, and that's a good number. Uh, and you've done everything you can. Yeah. Say, hey, you might want to start uh, letting your, you know, your 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 admin know or whoever that this might be time for this time or time for this dog to go. So, let me ask you: since you are a, a canine supervisor, um, in the interim while you're working out this problem, are you gonna? What are you gonna do with the the team? Are they gonna be out there doing these hot calls, or are you gonna just? Absolutely not. I, I think once as a unit collectively, if you've gotten with your trainers or your trainer, you've gotten with the handler, once you deem the dog unsafe, he's not responding to training, you've tried everything that you can and you've been fair to the dog, I think they need to be pulled. You know, it's just, it's not safe to be behind an animal. You don't want the handler in some way, shape or form relying on the dog to quote unquote, save his life. Or if he thinks the dog is going to react a certain way and he doesn't, and now, you know, he's fighting a guy, he's got to worry about the dog doing something, something he shouldn't be doing. Or, you know, if the dog goes into defense and bites the handler for some reason, because the pressure's too much, you're trying to get him to engage. You, you just never know. I would say once you deem, deem it unsafe and document all this, make sure you're getting all this, you know, written down properly. Uh, I know at our agency, we got to do memos and stuff like that. Cause they want to know, Hey, why is this, $10,000 dog not working out. You know, you selected it, it passed the test. And we all know it's, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, you know. So as a dog, yeah, exactly. You know, you see one dog, he's a year old, he does good, he passes everything, he's doing everything good and pray. As he ages, you start adding a little defense into him, you're switching him back and forth. And just for some reason, the dog just won't do it. I actually saw a dog in training uh, during a building search. Um, looking for the adversary that was hidden and he, he was having some challenges with finding the guy. So as in the canine school, everybody stands back and watch. Well, the long story short, this dog comes up and redirects on one of the kids in the class, just latches onto him completely passive. So of course we tell the dog, good boy and uh, get the dog off and send the handler to the hospital that got bit. And to this, that dog had five street failures after that five we could not figure it out. We just couldn't, yeah, we just couldn't get it to click. You know, we tried, you know, fake, we tried everything, but an outward flesh bite. So. And what, what'd you end up doing with that dog? They washed him out. It was actually a local agency here that we were helping them yeah. out with. And they just, 
the sergeant actually got to see an engagement with uh they were got to a big fight with a guy with a warrant in a bathroom and the dog basically just he wouldn't go in he turned his head away it was complete avoidance while they were having to fight the yeah. guy so the sergeant said that's enough and they took him off the street at that point so you just never know sometimes you can do everything you can pull all the all the uh tricks out of your bag and sometimes the dogs just won't respond Next from our panel, we have Rob Lucason. Rob, how many chances are you going to give this dog, or what are you going to do to remediate it? Um, well, well, the first, uh, the uh, no chances. If he's doing this on the street, I would, I would bring him in to put him in a to training status, and I would, I would ask the, the handler or the instructor, whatever the case may be, is is uh, does does he do the same kind of behavior in training? Um, and I just I just don't know if that's happening or not. But uh, nonetheless, before you go before I would go forward in any kind of uh, problem solving and, and applying uh, corrective measures, I would uh, take the dog to the vet and uh, make sure we don't have any dental issues or uh, TMJ issues that would, that would, that would, that would, maybe the dog, just, it's just too painful for the dog to, to bite and grab a hold and, uh, you know, do his, do his, do his job, so to speak. So, so barring any of that, that would be my first order of business, just to make sure, so you can, in the process of elimination, you can just go make sure there's nothing medically wrong with the dog's teeth or jaws uh, before you uh, before you go any any deeper in. Next, we have uh, Mike Ritland. Mike, how many chances are you going to give this dog to to prove he's a police dog? So you know, for me, there's not really a a magic number. Is is you know X number of strikes and you're out necessarily. Um, you know, to me, I look at it from a couple different perspectives is that number one, I, you know, in this case, um, I'll, I'll address how I would do it. I mean, to me, like there's an element of, it, it shouldn't even get to this point. I mean, I, if, if any, anybody listening has sat through my patrol class of my selection test is that it's very specific and, and pretty grueling for that reason is to not run into this. I like to use absolutely no equipment and that's not street clothes with a whip you know, or, or street clothes with, you know, a tug in my back pocket or uh, a stick in my hand or something like that. It's, it's legitimately absolutely no contextual association to bite work whatsoever and, and go pick a fight with them. And that dog has to, has to want to kill me for making contact with them. Uh, it's a combination of using body language and then ultimately physical contact. And, and he needs to get angry and, and want to light me up for it. Um, so, you know, number one, I would start with that. And so even in this situation, I, I would, kind of retest the dog i'd have somebody that really knows how to how to stake out a dog get in their in their head a little bit go up and 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 give them a a little bit of contact and see how they respond and 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 from my perspective i keep it pretty black and white and if that dog won't won't defend itself and and doesn't come unglued when you pick a fight with him while he's by himself and he's tied off to something um you know from my perspective there isn't a whole lot you can do uh to to fix that in a dog i mean no different than you know the analogy i use of of a a patrolman or a potential patrolman if one of your selection criteria for um, you know, bringing somebody into a police academy is they're sitting at a restaurant and a, and a stranger walks in and goes up and just smacks them and that guy doesn't want to fight. Um, you know, there, there isn't an amount of training or sure. a length of an academy that's going to make that dog somebody I'd trust kicking a door and serving a high-risk warrant. Now, having said that, um, in this case, I, I think there's ways to bridge, um, you know, that 
that type of mentality. And, and I would do kind of those similar things is that, uh, you know, is, is I would use a lot of plain clothes and, and street clothes stuff and, and kind of try to dirty the dog up and make him leery of people and, and try to, you know, use some, some prey drive to, to connect, connect those dots. Um, in terms of, you know, having nothing and then, you know, maybe, maybe you crack a whip once or somebody does from a, a ways away and then somebody goes in with, with no equipment and tries to pick a fight and see if you can get the guy to, or the dog to engage rather and, and things like that uh, in conjunction with doing some dead prey stuff. Um, you know, in a, in a building where, you know, you do one normal bite scenario where there's an active decoy in a, in a, in a flea bite, even where the dog's, you know, overloaded and prey drive. And then the very next scenario, you, you know, you take the dog back out after he's, uh, you know, found somebody bit, bit with him, fought with him, you know, lots of sweeping prey movement reward type behaviors from the decoy to, to end the session, pull the, the dog back out. And now the decoy is laying down, uh, facing the wall not moving at all. The dog's already loaded up in prey, um, you know, and, and then do five, six, seven runs of that where the dog's, you know, getting a lot of repetitions of going sure. in on somebody that that's not moving, that's not confrontational, whatever, and, and build that, that quote unquote dead prey, uh, sight picture into the dog's mind a little more. Uh, to me, if, if you don't have what I would use air quotes for and say that dog, that's how I would at least do the best you can with what you have is, is try to dirty them up on, on the civil side with some street clothes and, and interjecting a little bit of prey here and there to, to solicit that response and try to get them to engage with nothing uh, and then do the dead prey scenarios, like I said. But ideally, um, you know, in the, in the selection test, I want to see a dog with absolutely no equipment. If I come up and smack him, uh, he comes unglued and, and wants nothing more than to kill me for doing that. But uh, that's, uh, that's how I would approach it. Next on this question, we have Ron Cloward. Ron, what are you going to do about this dog? Are you going to keep working him or train him, or what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, for us, it's really easy to take and say, uh, hey, it's time to cash in the chips and start over again because we don't have the financial investment. Um, there's a lot of agencies, you know, they invest a lot of time and money into dogs, and so they're going to give that dog every benefit of the doubt to try to be successful. Um, I think it depends a lot on the failure and what took place on the failure. Uh, I can remember my very first appointment with my first dog was a failure, and the dog ran alongside a burglary suspect looking up at him for a sleep to bite. Um, pretty frustrating, and for me, though, it was an obvious training issue and an equipment problem, and so um, it was something we were able to go back and look at and fix and try to correct in training. I guess it's going to come down to what's taking place in training, what are they doing to fix the problem, correct the problem, is this a courage problem? Um, is the dog afraid? Does the dog recognize that the, the suspect is the opponent? You know, all of those things have to come into play. And, um, and without actually seeing it and breaking each one of them down, it really depends. If it was a courage issue, um, I wouldn't even give them a second chance. Um, and I think most trainers... I guess I would. my question there would be then, how are you going to determine that if you think it's a courage issue or not? If it's a courage issue and it appears to be a courage issue in the deployment then we're going to have to bring the dog in and do some extensive testing with the dog and really challenge this dog and, and put it into situations where it has to be courageous. And if it loses, you know, the ability to maintain its, you know, its, uh, its posture and, and, you know, its character, then we'll know that that dog just doesn't have the courage to do it. Hopefully people are establishing this before they ever buy a dog. But as I've seen, you know, throughout the country, a lot of people just, buy dogs and they really don't know what they're testing for or looking for and sure. so they're kind of stuck with what they have. Um, 
if they're on number five here, it's probably time maybe to either really do a thorough evaluation on this dog or the training or both. But I think it's probably about time for a decision to be made and maybe start all over. But again, that's easy for us to sit here and make that decision because we don't have a dollar in, you know, involved in it. And uh, um, for them, I know there's an expense. Um, but I think administrators also lose sight sometimes of they recognize the dollar part of it. What they don't recognize is the safety issue or lack of safety that it places on handlers and other officers as well. So if they were to take that whole picture and, and really look at it, um, it really shouldn't matter the amount of money that's invested at this point. It's if this dog's not working, um, then maybe it might be time to go ahead and, you know, start all over again. And uh, um, I think sounding like at this point, I mean, they're at number five, and based on the last one not having good clear um, description of what took place, but it was an obvious failure, and in this case, a shooting suspect. So um, it sounds like we're probably at a point where a decision needs to be made, and hopefully they can make, you know, the right decision. Sure. And you touched on it briefly, but um, as an administrator, since you retired as a lieutenant over K-9, um, what's the administration's uh, part in all this? Because it sounds to me like the way I read it is that they're deploying this dog, you know, as we speak. Uh, how, how would you have felt as that, you know, if you were overseeing that unit? Well, if I was overseeing that unit, I mean, as a lieutenant, I'm going to be making the pitch and fighting for, see, I have the luxury of, I work three dogs, so I have a lot of experience, and I've been doing training for years. So, um, with the experience level, I can I can fight that fight, and I can go in and sit down with a captain or a commander or a chief and fight that fight of listen. We can't focus on the beans. I mean, I know they're bean counters. I heard that you know throughout my career. Yeah, we can't focus on the beans here. What we have to focus on is the safety and the lack of safety. Um, it can be a fine line because administrators that don't sure. understand it. This is also an opportunity to take and say, well, we don't need canine. So, um, you know, that can always be a fine line. So the approach and how you handle sure. it is going to be huge. In the interim, though, would you would this dog be out doing searches in your unit? No, this dog would be pulled off the street. Yeah, the, it, you would have to completely pull yeah. that dog off, reevaluate everything. You know, are they doing hidden sleeve work? Are they doing muzzle work? Um, you know, are, are uh, they doing the things they need to be doing, or are we just doing – sterile training, you know, bites, releases, call-offs, those kinds of things. You know, are we putting this dog into scenarios? Um, we just did exercises the other night where put a suspect in a car underneath a blanket because one of our handlers with a newer dog, the dog wouldn't engage a suspect in the back of a vehicle underneath a blanket. And um, the sure. dog had never seen it before, but once he saw it and we introduced him to it, I mean, yeah, he's he's got to figure it out now. So, again, it goes back to, a full evaluation of what are we doing in training and what can we do to make this dog successful. And if, if they've done that or they've been doing that, then maybe it's time to make a decision. But absolutely, the dogs should not be working the street right now until they have had a good opportunity to evaluate it. Have somebody else evaluate it. Um, a lot of sure. times I think our pride gets in the way. We don't want other people to come in and look at things. But um, that can be the greatest benefit in the world is, you know, give somebody a a few bucks to have them come in and take a look at the dog and evaluate it and give you a, you know, a good, um, a good feedback on the dog and where it's at. Sure. Just get another set of yeah, eyes on it. Yeah. Sometimes gives you some good Absolutely. ideas. Well, there you have it. 
We have a lot of different answers, a lot of different ideas about what to do with the dog that is not performing on the street. My two cents on this whole question is, first off, if the dog is behaving the way that the question poses and he's not willing to engage a suspect on the street, he needs to be pulled offline. I don't agree at all with deploying this dog on the street now. Uh, the failure of that dog to, to do what he needs to do could either get uh, the handler or the cover officers hurt. Uh, that's pretty obvious. And another thing that uh, people don't take into consideration sometimes is a dog like that might uh, tempt or uh, force the handler to make a bad decision. And what I mean is, you know, we don't want to have somebody out there trying to fix this problem during the middle of a, a deployment. And those of you that have been handling for a long time, you know what I mean. So we're not going to be out there training this dog in the middle of a deployment and trying to get him to do what he needs to do. That uh, will only get people in trouble and it's simply not worth worth any of that uh, that risk right now. So obviously, I think the dog should be taken off the street. My thought is the dog has had quite a few opportunities to prove himself. So I'm all about trying to get the right dog for the right handler. And sometimes it's the genetics of the dog aren't what we need, and they were just it was a mistake from the vendor that got through their selection process and ends up with, at us. That's why we have vendors and that's why we buy dogs from vendors so that they assume that uh, if, if it's not working out, we can go back and get the right dog that we want. So I always encourage everybody to have a very good relationship with your vendor. Um, we always pay top dollar for our dogs. And then if, if it's not working out, I've never had a problem with telling the vendor this is not the right dog for us. And then I'll let the vendor decide what they're going to do with that dog. Sometimes it's just a, a mismatch between a handler and a dog for whatever reason. They don't gel. Sometimes the vendor saw something in the dog that they like, that they want to see if they can exploit those drives better than maybe what our training could do. So there's a lot of positives, in my opinion, about realizing that this is not a good match early on. Uh, count your uh, losses at that time and then move on. Even though you've spent a lot of time training the dog and worked with him, if it's not working, it's not working. So I always encourage if you have that option and hopefully you have a good enough relationship and you're working with a quality vendor any quality vendor when you call them and tell them hey this is what's going on here's what we've done to remediate the problem and here's the results we're having a quality vendor i believe would say no problem bring that dog back to me and let's get you the dog that that will go out and do do the proper work on the street for you then that vendor will be up to them to, to work with the dog and and try and find the right match maybe it's a, a match maybe it's truly a, a that the the dog isn't actually uh, what they thought when they first bought him so I always uh, say, you know, before you drag on too long, you know, talk to the vendor, see what their options are. And and most big quality vendors do not mind uh, backing up their product uh, because if, the, if you bought the dog and you've selected the dog right, they want you to be happy and they want you to be safe. So nobody wants a dog out there that's not working. Thanks again for listening to all these answers. If you have any feedback on any of them or questions on any of them or questions you want me to answer in the future, Again, just contact me, Jeff at hitsk9.net, Jeff at hitsk9.net. And again, if you like all these uh, answers, almost everybody that you heard today will be at HITS. They'll be at HITS in Chicago this August, so you can come meet them in person. We always have, besides classes, we have lots of networking opportunities. So all of our instructors are easy to sit down, have a beer with at night if you want to. Go have dinner with them later after the classes and pick their brains. And there's lots and lots of networking opportunities. Everybody that's involved with it, we all love meeting handlers from all over the world and 
being able to network and, and share some ideas. So hopefully uh, we'll see you in Chicago. Again, go to hitsk9.net for any information. Get the bios of the experts here that you were listening to answering the questions. And thanks. Be safe out there. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. Hits has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.